0: Hello everybody, welcome back. Uh, Happy Easter holidays. Hopefully you are sat uh, gorging on multiple chocolate eggs surrounded by paper packaging that you have (laughs) ripped off in a frantic frenzy of delight. Well, you, you put
1: that very uh, passionately and yet, strange enough, we're, neither of us is sitting here with any Easter chocolate because neither of us is enormously into chocolate. But we have got mm. coffee.
0: Yeah, exactly. Our, our, our true love.
1: <laughs> our true love of coffee. <laughs> and I think when we did that Christmas um, special light and rather self-indulgent episode, I felt like it was going to be a one-off. but. On reflection, it was quite nice to just model the idea of letting the hair down a little bit. I thought it came out quite nicely, so we decided we were going to do another holiday special this time.
0: Oh Yeah, exactly. And we took inspiration, actually, from one of the inspirers of our Christmas episode podcast which was And Then What Pod um by Becky Brinoff and Amy Jones. <gasps> Jones. Oh, hello, Amy. <laughs> sorry, Amy. <laughs> Apologies and hello um we really like their format uh, and it's basically that each one of them brings three stories each week and i use that as inspiration to set us a bit of a brief i set us some homework didn't i tom yeah
1: we've got a format it's, we've uh, got a format different from our usual format
0: yeah so i um set us both the task of finding a blog as there are many educational blogs out there and i think we've been quite inspired by some of them of late um and they make for some really juicy, interesting discussion with our, our student teachers as well and with us as and with our colleagues. So we decided that um, a blog might be an interesting talking point. So we were each tasked to get a blog, a tweet that was provocative, maybe? I don't know whether yeah, yours fits, fits that brief, I think Tom? it
1: could be described as provocative,
0: yeah. Okay, mine too. Um, and a story about a teacher from any kind of platform, Um be it, I think yours is from newspaper, Mine is a news story, yeah. Um, and mine is from Reddit. And we just thought that we would read them yeah and talk about them
1: them and we've like light- so we've lightened things up but not quite as much as for christmas when we kind of departed from education almost entirely for over an hour i think we're we're a bit like the school holidays you know christmas you just completely give up on any form of day job things yeah. easter maybe it's still back in the back of the mind a little bit but you're trying to have a rest so yes and i've deliberately not given you mine in advance you haven't given me yours in advance so we'll be reacting
0: yeah, which is really scary. Um, I know mean, you
1: like to be prepared. I do you? like to be
0: prepared, <laughs> but I am taking a risk for our art, Tom. Um, oh, <laughs> so it, to that end, I reckon you ought to go first, since right. you haven't um, disclosed to me what's no, coming. I let's haven't. just let's like a like a plaster. Let's rip it off really quickly.
1: Okay. I mean, I have printed you a copy of it if you want it. Mm, or do no, you, you no I'm going to listen. I'm going to. Oh, I'm, gonna, oh, I'm <laughs>
0: going to listen. I'm going. I have got Gone a pen wild. and I am going to make some notes. you mean
1: be making notes in that really really intimidating way as if I was in an interview or something.
0: <laughs> okay. I'm,
1: oh, I see you're making Cornell notes. I'm very impressed.
0: Well, you know, I've got to practice what I preach. So come on then, Breeze, All throw right. it at me.
1: So my blog post, Um, I've gone to the mighty Tom Sherrington for this one. Now, mm. we've mentioned Tom Sherrington a fair bit. We've reviewed his book, The Learning Rainforest, in one of our recent episodes. He started off as a blogger. His blog is teacherhead.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, worth a read uh, and the book, actually. Probably well worth saying that given I've nicked this blog post to uh, use on the podcast. And it's, I suppose, this blog post is going to do the duty of our well being slot in mm-hmm. a way, uh, which is, I love the way he's say mm-hmm, and write something. <laughs>
0: been very official.
1: We're supposed to be keeping this light. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Yeah, he's he's got one called overloaded out of control press the reset button.
0: Oh, nice yes. catchy title. I yes. like it. And I
1: thought you might like this one cuz I know that you know you you and all of us need occasionally to just make you peace with things that are not going to be possible. And it's
0: timely to talk about this um, during the Easter break when we have a little bit more time to think about pressing the reset button. (laughs) Yes,
1: because one of the features of being a teacher is that your to-do list is never done. You can never actually get to the end of it. There's always Mm. stuff that falls off the end of it. And I think when you're in the middle of kind of work crisis nightmare. We don't always make the best decisions about what to chuck over the side or or kind of when. So now is the time to have a little a little um read of this blog post and maybe think strategically about how to press the reset button. It's a long post, so I'm I'm more going to summarize it than read it word for word. Okay. Um but I will I will read the very first bit which says this. When things get out of control, work is very stressful the solution is to take control uh, which of course is easier said than done but we're going to go with this in numerous school scenarios i found that it helps enormously to seize control out of the chaos by pressing the reset button clearing it all away and starting again Uh, and he then goes on to say how this applies to marking behavior management emails our favorite thing in the world Mm -hmm. uh, reports and lesson planning every situation where things feel that they are running away from you Mm -hmm. Um, and so he says that um, one of the things you need to have as a teacher is the confidence to give yourself permission to do this Um, and then he goes on in detail about each one so marking he says you know sometimes gets out of hand Uh, if you're setting challenging work to all of your classes then a lot of marking will accumulate uh, and you've got to kind of make your peace with the fact that you can't mark it all and even if you set a routine for yourself to kind of keep it in in manageable chunks it will sometimes kind of get a little bit out of hand and then you're in a vicious spiral and you get to the point that you just can't you can't deal with it some of it is so old it's probably not worth marking anyway but simultaneously you feel very bad Mm -hmm. that you haven't marked it so he gives a number of strategies here um his first one is what he calls the fess up method
0: oh which, gosh <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: which is where you to senior leaders
0: or to the kids uh, to the kids <laughs> yeah
1: so you basically get up in front of your class and say look uh, and as he puts it i'm really sorry guys there's just too much here to mark but we'll focus on the most recent piece which should give you the pointers you need um, or set a test and tell the class that you'll focus on marking the testing instead of going over everything in their books so that was that was his one strategy i don't know how you'd feel about the fess up method I, oh, you're breathing deeply over there
0: Oh, this is really, oh, this is really causing me to have to dig deep, actually, because I just think that a lot of people feel this way and maybe don't fess up to it, to the wider public. I've often
1: thought there's not enough fessing up going on in education. Yeah,
0: so I think there's, (laughs) there's fessing up and I'm really, I'm really pleased that Tom... Sherrington is is shining a light on this mm, because there yep. is an incredible I mean the, the one thing that I've written down now is guilt yeah, yes it's that feeling yeah. of guilt there is always somebody in education to feel or something to feel guilty about yeah uh, says a lot about our profession um but but kids are human and we can't protect them from the workload epidemic
1: No, I mean, we had a long chat, didn't we, at the end of last week about how it's a really good thing to pull the curtain back a little bit sometimes with the kids and let them see what's going on behind the scenes. um, I think they appreciate the honesty. I think it makes you feel good, but it's not easy to do it.
0: It's really not easy to do it. So I I salute anybody who (laughs) does do it.
1: I would probably
0: find that really hard. Yeah.
1: So here's his other strategy. If if you're not up for fessing up, then here's the other one. Uh, On the most recent occasion, I went for catch-up instead. I dedicated two back-to-back lessons to one-to-one feedback I set the class and written work and called them up one by one to talk them through their work with each five minute chat I could communicate so much more than I could in 20 minutes of marking uh, once they'd seen me their task shifted to a dirt session by which we mean a dedicated improvement and reflection time uh, or is it directed I can never remember
0: dedicated uh, dedicated
1: it is direct, dedicated isn't it dedicated so. improvement and uh, reflection time acting on the advice I'd just given it cleared the decks and worked okay for them
0: Oh, that one definitely gets my vote. In fact, that gets my vote regardless of being in a mire with marking. Yeah. And this speaks to the tweet that I'm going to tell you about later on. So okay. just, let's just bag that, <laughs> yeah. that sentiment that on yeah. um, about feeding back on the, the written work as opposed to marking it.
1: Yeah. And he also mentions a similar idea about resetting things when behaviour management is getting tricky, when low-level disruption is starting to get me nerves... And you're just not enjoying working with a class. Uh, He also suggests um, being fairly straight with the pupils and saying, right, um, you know, I'm not enjoying these lessons as much as I'd like, Um, you know, the persistent low level disruption spoiling the atmosphere. And resetting those expectations and moving on and acknowledging you know the good things that follow if they follow you know that saying well done this is what i've been asking for and that you can then kind of reimpose sanctions and uh, rewards and things like that from a kind of clean slate and so that that idea with behavior as well that you just kind of stop and take a moment i
0: like, like that. that i like that and again a lot of these um Speak to the humanity of yeah. the profession and, and appeal to the humanity of the learners.
1: Yeah, which I think it's easy not to do sometimes. I mean, they are people. And, and we often talk to the students, don't we, about this idea of not seeing the class as a, as a big thing, as, a, as an entity, uh, but as a group of individuals. I, I remember having to give some fairly difficult feedback to a student teacher once when I watched a lesson. And the problem was that she was just seeing the class as this big thing that was out together instead of as a bunch of individuals and it meant the relationships were, were just not getting off the ground.
0: Yeah I think that's a good point and sometimes if there's an overriding dynamic that is the that's the sort of characteristics of the thing. Yeah you kind yeah. of you characterise the whole class by the overriding dynamic which might be actually driven by three or four kids.
1: Yeah definitely and, I, and, and they don't always think about how they're making you feel, do they? I, I think they sometimes just, they, they will behave in a certain way. They, they almost see it as like a victimless crime in a way if they don't see you as a as a person, if they see yeah. you as a teacher rather than a person. So yeah, I quite like that as well.
0: Okay. Uh, he does a
1: similar thing with planning, suggesting if that's getting on top of you, um, then One thing he suggests is reusing stuff that's that's already there from your colleagues and from from other things. I mean, I know I'm not an enormous fan of teaching other people's stuff. I find that quite difficult. But Mm. he's suggesting that. But the the one that I really liked is this idea that instead of uh, when when you're in a kind of real hole with planning and you're kind of trying to do everything at the last minute. um, Take the effort to kind of stop and look up, and he says, "Go long." I stretch out, a, I sketch out a plan for the next few weeks with some kind of endpoint in mind. Um, you can kind of sketch things out in the long term. You, uh, he's a science specialist, so he talks about them being able to give a sketch plan for your technicians, which is a lot better than hassling them at the last minute. Mm. And just seeing a slightly longer term plan means that you can see some some sort of little bits and little gaps where you can slot things and i often think about this as being a bit like a conveyor belt you know uh, that, that if you're kind of trying to deal with stuff just before it falls off the edge of the conveyor belt you're going to make far worse decisions you're going to throw them all in the wrong carry bags yeah instead of looking at, at stuff a long way in advance because you can you can make some changes further down the conveyor belt and then the stuff that's actually coming at you is kind of a bit more controlled and, and a bit less unexpected so i quite like that idea it's a bit counterintuitive isn't it when you're stuck in a, a short term hole to kind to stop and look
0: yes long. that's a really good point and actually it's something that I think that our student teachers we ought to shine a light on this much earlier um, we tend to teach them about the kind of micro aspects of planning early on mm, we do like learning intentions and the sort of minutiae of how you scaffold learning and, and, and um, plan the activities and build the activities towards the learning intention. But we don't tend to talk about long-term planning off the bat. When actually it's almost a bit backwards. you, you yeah. almost need to start with the bigger picture um, even at a basic even when you're a, a novice teacher so that you know where that individual plan fits into a much bigger aim. Um, So, yeah, I I think that's really, really good advice to kind of look to the big picture. And you've talked to me a lot about this, Tom, and that's helped me quite a lot. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really been helpful from a well-being perspective, actually, to just gain some perspective um, and, and to also kind of go you know i've only got a few more lessons left so actually <laughs> what am i going to what's what's going to be manageable for their man for me in this in this time frame
1: yeah and even if you can just see you've got a bit of time maybe in 3 or 4 days time it can be enormously comforting to know that well it's okay i've got a free period on wednesday or something yes. i can sort that then rather than not really knowing and then feeling you have to sort it now or panic about it so yeah i like it i'm i try to do it as much as I can and I find that it makes things a lot more controlled you're gonna like the next one as well emails and paperwork we we get an awful lot of emails in this place yeah Uh, (laughs) I mean I thought I got a lot as a teacher but when I moved here it was it's quite something else so he says the reset solution to the pileup in this area is simple let it go (laughs) <laughs> now I know this is this is going to make you uncomfortable as well, but but he says um, if things feel out of control, a bit of bin therapy is perhaps what you need. Now I am ruthless with bin therapy. Yeah,
0: yeah I yeah, I'm I am culpable for pinning emails and turning my emails into an extension of my to do list. Yeah. Um, And I think psychologically that's really not very good because you are hit at the off with a long list of things um, that aren't done. So yeah. every time you open up your email account or every time I open up my email <laughs> account, I've got this list that sometimes is longer than the whole screen um, of pinned items. Um, so don't get into the bad habits that I have. Um, and Tom, you've really helped me to, uh, to overcome this issue. I can't wow. say I'm perfect at it yet. I still have a few pinned items. I'm
1: just a bit brutal with it, really. It's just, actually, I think he's right that paper on your desk and emails in your email account Um, They're similar in this respect, which is that once they're more than a week or two old, they probably might as well go in the bin, (laughs) in all honesty.
0: Yes.
1: Um, He says to bin any old emails, uh, he says to bin any paper. And I must admit, I do this. I often just think, right, if I try and put this on my shelf, I'll never find it. So I might as well throw it in the bin.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've got to say that the David Allen process of getting things done is quite useful in that with emails you could apply the philosophy of if it takes you what was it less than 30 seconds then just clear it just Mm. clear it there and then so maybe dedicate a little bit of time regular time every day to clearing those quick quick and fast and easy ones Mm. um and then having some kind of filing system for the ones that are going to take a little bit longer maybe if you're not kind of going to uh, sort of comfortable with the fact of deleting
1: yeah stick them on on your actual to-do list instead of using your inbox as a to-do list I remember I had an epiphany moment when I was in school um because we used Gmail in school. We don't yeah. use Gmail here, but we used Gmail in school. And the whole thing with Gmail when it came in was that you didn't have to delete any emails. That was kind of its its selling point. You had an enormous amount of space. You didn't have to delete anything. The trouble with that I found was I was starting to get a little bit stressed about the sheer size of the inbox mm-hmm. folder. You know, you log into emails and you present it with this enormous list. And okay, the new stuff is at the top and the old stuff is at the bottom, which is kind of helpful. Mm-hmm. But it just... Didn't do my mind any good to have all that stuff there. And so all I did was ran a search for any email over, I think it was, well, any email from up to the end of the previous academic year, I think it was. And I just archived it all. I didn't delete it. I bunged it in another folder. And then I just tried to make a point of getting rid of them out of the inbox if I'd finished with them. And uh, people would be looking over my shoulder at my screen and saying, why does your email home screen look like that? It's only got three things in it. And it wasn't that I was super efficient or super amazing or anything. It was just that I visually didn't want to see that old stuff. So I just put it somewhere else and Ah. uh, people were jealous of it. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's clever. It's really clever. And again, it's kind of, it's a psychological thing, isn't it? It's a, it's a thing so that, you know, you know, you can trick your mind into feeling like you've got a handle on these things. They're not becoming this unwieldy beast
1: yeah. And at some point, we will have to have a chat about, um, you know, that that number on your email thing that says how many unread you've got and mm. rules to get rid of all those annoying automated ones. I mean, I literally when I was in school, I literally had colleagues, you know, you've got we've all got these colleagues who are annoying and they email everybody everything and they, they tend to say very little. that's kind of useful. I, I would love to give some examples, but I better not. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, but, you know, let's just say there are certain keywords that you can pull out. Um, I mean, I'm I'm gonna give a slightly modified example. There was a member of staff in my school who would regularly email the entire staff because she had uh, certain foodstuffs for sale uh, I'm going to put it that way. Um, that she would bring in for people to buy, and we used to get emails about it almost daily. And so I simply took the name of that food and turned it into an email rule. Really? And if an email came from her with that word in it, it would go straight
0: in the bin. <laughs> you see, you just make the you just make the functions work for you, don't you? Just yeah, kind of because of it's stressful system.
1: having an unread yeah. email. You you feel you've got to go and look at it, and mm. you need it not to be happening. If it's an email about, does anyone want to buy any of, of the? foods that I'm not going to mention from, from a part of the school I'm not going to name. <laughs> <laughs> I know I've got at least one listener in that school, so I'm not doing it. Anyway, we, perhaps we'll have a session about a, a slot about email one day because it is it's a whole world of pain. And finally, reports. Uh, now Ah, (laughs) reports they they are yeah um a special situation I think the worst number I ever had to write to one deadline was 330 and that was that was in the day before they put comment banks in wowzer yeah 330 reports and actually my drama colleague taught more classes than me he had 450
0: was there at least like a minimum, like sort of a, a minimum word count? Oh, sorry, no. a maximum word count. Was there at least a framework? Uh, well, if anything? there was a maximum
1: word count, I never found it no. <laughs> on the system because I never wrote enough. But yeah, it was it was a lot of work. And and Tom Sherrington says it can be time consuming if you do it well, even with fancy comment banks. And let's be honest, it you know comment banks are not the best for writing high quality things Uh, the task can be overwhelming now now this one I'm going to be with you I think he says if you haven't managed to plan ahead the deadline is looming with too many reports to write the reset button needs to be a conversation with someone the sooner the better you need to acknowledge the problem and tell someone wow Um, in the past, I've helped people. Because, of course, Tom Sherrington was, was in management uh, in various schools. In the yeah. past, I've helped people in crisis in different ways. Sharing the reports out, accepting more generic reports rather than have none, or giving cover to allow a teacher to finish them.
0: Well, this is uh, <laughs> speaks to a bigger problem, really. And I don't know if this is maybe mega controversial, but it's Easter, so I'm going to go there. Go for it. It's really taboo to talk to... Confess that you're overwhelmed in education. Yeah, it's really taboo. Especially to management. Exactly. But many of the senior leadership team don't have to do these things. No. So why are we afraid <laughs> to tell them? Well, that kind of begs the question, the bigger question, about what kind of rule have we got under these senior leaders that is creating this culture, I don't know, and maybe I'm doing them a massive disservice.
1: Well, I had a colleague, a close colleague in school, who shared a class with a senior leader, um, and she had a number of other classes from the same year group, and she had the temerity to say to the senior leader that she wanted him to do the parents' evening appointments for that class because she had three other classes. Wow. Let's just say it didn't go down well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and, I, I, you know, absolute you know there are some excellent senior leaders and i'm sure that of they course. are the rule not the exception but there is it, there is a broader culture of fear in and around things like reporting mm. things like making sure that there's evidence of marking in your books um you know so yeah. and and the high stakes and the the, the high consequences if said things are not done in a timely fashion
1: yeah so perhaps i should end by by talking about one of those good senior leaders just in this area just because i always come across in these podcasts as being awfully cynical um we, <laughs> i had a senior leader above my department uh, who was given the task of doing a book scrutiny the dreaded book scrutiny ah. rocked up with his clipboard um and he, you know, he, he said, right. I'm here to do book scrutiny. I thought, oh goodness me, because he was from a very different subject area as well. He wasn't from an artsy subject area. And he said, right, okay, let's go down this list. Top item on the list uh, is is the uh, heading, heading underlined. underlined. And is the dating <laughs> oh, Welsh? well you
0: laugh so much when we get to my Twitter. Uh, <laughs>
1: and oh. I said, and I'm, I'm going to name this guy because he was good. I, Ian, down in my old school. I said, cards on the table, Ian. We haven't got any books. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can totally relate thought, to this one. Let's
1: get this over and done with. So, uh, no, the heading's not underlined because uh, they never write any because we don't have books. And I said, uh, but we give really good verbal feedback. The pupils know exactly what they're supposed to be doing and where they need to get and all the rest of it. And if you want to speak to any of them, or if you want any videos of lessons, or if you want any evidence, that you come down whenever you like. And I kind of waited for the reaction. And he said, fine. Totally get that. Absolutely inappropriate for your subject. Not a problem. Crossed the item out and moved on. Great. What a guy. Thanks Reasonable,
0: Ian. sensible. Yes.
1: So, yeah, there we go. That's my article from Tom Sherrington uh, about pressing the reset button, which does involve a certain amount of uh, bravery. Taking a deep breath. Yeah, and doing it. I'm all for it with emails and things like that and throwing paper in the bin. I'm not going to lie, I uh, would have struggled to fess up to my management, but I hadn't written my reports.
0: Mm, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to refrain from saying too much on this, because I think we'll, okay. we'll talk about it more yeah, um, when we more come to, to my said. tweet. There's definitely more to be said. Okay, thank you. I think that's great. Loads of... Uh, Interesting wellbeing tips, uh, practical. Tom Sherrington's great at really practical advice. Um, Salute you for that, Tom Sherrington, if you ever listen to our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) We'll find you if you haven't. Okay, so speaking of Tom Sherrington, um, Tom Sherrington advocates um, an educational consultant and practitioner called Martin Robinson, who is the author of Trithium, Ah, Which yes. I'm uh, I'm just gonna. It's actually called Trivium. 21c or trivium 21st century preparing young people for the future with lessons from the past and this is a present this book was a gift um, from my lovely fellow podcasting presenter Tom Breeze and I am ashamed to say that I haven't actually read it yet <laughs> yeah well I
1: bought a copy at the same time and I haven't either so if that makes you feel better
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> well but but what I have done is I have read some of Martin Robinson's uh, blog posts um, as I said, he's an educationalist with an interest in culture, politics, creativity and the liberal arts, um, especially grammar, dialectic and rhetoric, um, which are um, linked to medieval learning. So I guess the title of Trivium 21C looking to the past for ideas about how we educate Peoples now is where he's coming at um, education from. Um, trivium, uh, for those of you who are wondering, and for those of you who don't know, I looked, up to, I looked it up. And etymologically, oh gosh, difficult words. Okay, <laughs> here goes. Etymologically, And the Latin word trivium means the place where three roads meet, which I quite like. And in this case, trivium in medieval learning, the lower division of the seven liberal arts consisting of grammar, rhetoric, and logic. And I think the general premise is um, that Martin Robinson thinks that The curriculum for now, the curriculum for the 21st century, should be built upon these similar um, principles or divisions of grammar, rhetoric and logic. So, lengthy introduction. um, He actually wrote a blog post very, very recently, this week in fact, called Cultural Mobility. Um, And I have been reading a fair bit about social mobility and we've had lots of conversations about social mobility. And um, I read another blog when I was trying to think about which blog I was going to use for today's episode about cultural capital. Then this gift came up on Twitter. So (laughs) I guess I think I'm just going to read it because it's not too long um, and then I'll talk to you about what I do. Got from it, if that's okay. Okay. So, describing our viewpoints on the world, Mary Midgley, Mary Midgley is a 20th century or was a 20th century British philosopher. Mary Midgley used the analogy of an aquarium with a number of murky windows through which people could peer. If we think of the aquarium as a whole, as reality and truth, and each window being a perspective through which we can gaze upon that reality we can begin to piece together an idea as to what the truth might be. No one thing gives us the whole truth. Rather, we gain a range of perspectives or of ways of knowing, and the more we have helps us see more of the overall truth. This is the root of the idea of the need for cultural mobility. Cultural mobility helps us in our search for meaning. It helps us by sharing meanings with us. Okay, so I'm just going to pause there because that's quite a lengthy analogy. Um, So when I was thinking about this, I thought that's a really nice way of thinking about how any human being's understanding of reality and truth builds up. It starts off as this kind of murky aquarium where not many things are visible and there are multiple windows into the aquarium. So we're perhaps thinking about like not your traditional four-faced aquarium or I suppose aquariums can be massive can't they? you can walk around an aquarium um but there are different ways of looking at truth and reality okay so he goes on in Aesop's fable of the hedgehog and the fox the fox is portrayed as being able to traverse over a lot of subjects breadth is her game the hedgehog however knows one thing really well and will roll into a tight and very spiky little ball protecting his perspective which would you prefer to be the specialist or the polymath and again i had to pause there to just check my knowledge of polymath um, which comes from the greek polymathis, having learned much a person whose expertise spans a significant number of subject areas known to draw on complex bodies of knowledge to solve specific problems which would you prefer to be tom
1: well, I was just thinking it's, uh, it makes you think of that old ideal of, of course, it, it would have to be a man, wouldn't it, back then, the Renaissance man, you mm. know, that you were, you were not. Re- and, and just this idea that in order to be educated, you had to be good at a wide range of things. Yeah. Um, you, you were quite looked down upon if you couldn't dance and play, as well as knowing your science, uh, you know, your, your reading and all that kind of thing. I, so, yeah, I'm all for it. I'm all for that kind of thing. As long as I guess you don't sacrifice too much debt. Okay, breath.
0: <laughs> okay. okay, Interesting. The suspicion might be that most of us don't think of ourselves as either, with an education system that tries to help us to specialise, leaving us bereft if we don't manage to make a success of the specialisation.
1: Yeah. And I I often think this, that our education system, it's often criticised, isn't it, for forcing you to choose a path quite early on. I was having Mm -hmm. a Twitter conversation with our fine colleague, Julia Jenkins from Teach First about this. You know, the fact that I absolutely loved science when I was a kid. I was an Mm. absolute geek for it. And was really upset to have to drop it after GCSE because mm. it just, you know, I tried. I tried to take an A level in chemistry and and they were just saying no, 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 it doesn't go with your music. And and what was the other thing I was taking? I can't remember German or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they were just saying no, you can't do that. You had to be one or the other. And yeah, it's a shame.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it kind of speaks a little bit to the kind of commodity or the commodification. I might have just made up a word of qualifications and knowledge and learning
1: yeah this idea that you you're looking for a job at the end of it I suppose in quite a narrow field
0: yeah and that's not to devalue that agenda or to kind of dumb it down or to kind of sort of not give it the the gravitas that it deserves we're talking about kids futures here Mm. and I'm not you know I'm 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 all for making sure they've got the best start and chances in life but it's just another way of thinking about what we place value on in the curriculum and in our pupils educational experiences okay so he goes on one of the one of the ways schools help the formation of the culturally mobile the polymath is through the disciplines it offers well taught each discipline enables a pupil to gaze through a number of murky windows into the aquarium with a focus on truth on beauty, on rightness, through the sciences, the arts, languages, the humanities, and physical and technical studies. A child can find herself knowing more about the truth than gazing through one murky window would enable her so to do. Each subject helps make meaning for the child. This is the way this subject works. These are the finest thoughts, artefacts, methods and ideals that help us make sense of the world and, in turn, help the pupil make their way through this world. A culturally mobile child finds himself able to make sense of the physical world, the transcendental, the natural and the thoughtful, interpreting it in a variety of ways. Cultural mobility is an authentic way of seeing education – It is relevant to the now as well as the future and past. And this is where it gets interesting. Social mobility, on the other hand, shifts learning from the quality of knowing something and placing it somewhere in a measured future. The achievement of a white collared job. Cultural mobility frees us from the class concerns of social mobility. It is not about assuming a class identity and is not hung up on whether one has sold out or no longer belongs. Instead of assuming a person can only have one perspective on the world based on one social standing, cultural mobility accepts we have more than one way of being in the world. I do not have to reject or be rejected by my home, family, culture... Rather, I realise I can be affected by different environments and ways of being. In my favourite cafe, my favourite football ground, at work, at play, at home. I am different within these environments, but not a different person. As these worlds open up to me, so my mind opens up to them. These worlds disclose themselves to me and I traverse within them either openly or close to them. Education should help me be open to them and to more ways of understanding the world without inexorably alienating me from my home. Cultural mobility doesn't make me alien to my origins. Social mobility, on the other hand, might suggest my origins are a problem rather than my anchoring and my first glimpses of how to be in the world. A socially mobile approach tries to endow me with a cultural capital to put the past behind me. Glimpses into the aquarium. The more perspectives we can have, the richer our education is. A culturally rich experience doesn't dispense with our rootedness. It enables us to find roots in many places, to be at home in a number of places, to be somewhere, anywhere.
1: And don't we live in an age where we could do with a bit more of that in our lives? Do
0: you know, I I got a bit emotional when I was reading this, Tom. I'm not going to lie.
1: Yeah, I know. (laughs) There was so much in there, wasn't there, about class and... Sticking to your perspective and not understanding other people's perspective, and yeah we don't have live in a period of history where a bit of that would go a long way. I would suggest.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I wrote a few things down about this. I wrote about it advocating cultural mobility over social mobility on the grounds that it does not endorse or infer the need to reject your birth or your home. Mm, yeah, and I, and I just think that's that's huge. It embraces the merits of all environments as new windows to truth and reality and, you know, in school and at home. And I think it, it puts value on everybody and everything that contributes to a child's education. Um, schools can support cultural it's implied that schools can support cultural mobility by emphasizing the significance of learning as personal and cultural development um, in its endeavors not simply a ladder to success
1: Mm, yeah and I think we've talked haven't we about just this tendency at the moment in the world to split every issue into a black and white you're on that side or, or you're on that side. And the people that shout the loudest are the ones that go and inhabit one end or the other. And it's it's sort of deeply unfashionable at the moment to be kind of in the middle trying to understand both sides.
0: Yeah. And and I think by, by placing so much weight on the commodity that education gives, on the capital yeah. it brings... We may be inadvertently send a message to our kids that knowledge for knowledge's sake, understanding for for enrichment of your life.
1: Yeah, that's deeply unfashionable at the moment in some quarters, isn't it? Well, I would yeah. would
0: um, And and I and I just anecdotally thought back to my own education, and being switched on to my moral compass in my favourite RE lessons with Missus Pavlovich, who would get us to debate various different issues within the Catholic and you know Christian denomination other Christian denomination faiths and being really enthused and probably having to talk about that in the exam but that's not what I've taken from it now in my adult life
1: yeah it's true and and there's been a lot of particularly thinking about universities now and tuition fees and the sort of arts degrees maybe struggling a little bit and and some people just saying well why? Why do we always have to defend those arts subjects or those humanities subjects by telling everybody that there are actually well paid jobs or that, you know, music and the arts contribute XYZ billion pounds to the economy? Why do we always have to do that? Why don't we just say because it's worth doing? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's seen as a an awfully indulgent thing to say in some quarters, isn't it, I think?
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Um and and certainly that was definitely one of the reasons why it struck a, struck at my heartstrings, I think. It struck a chord with me. So, yeah, yeah really well written, really eloquently written, really thought-provoking and... Yeah,
1: definitely. Well worth a read that one. Worth a
0: share. <laughs> okay, OK, sorry. A bit of a long one. No, there, it's everybody. good. It's
1: good. OK, it's tweet time. Yay. <clears throat> so these will probably well, they'll certainly be shorter to read. Yeah, um, I found a tweet. And again, I was I was struggling a little bit to find anything. And then I had a bit of a gift drop into my uh, Twitter feed. Um, towards the tail end of last week. And this is not from anyone to do with education, as far as I can tell. This is from a guy called Ed Morrish, who, looking at his profile, appears to be uh, working for a production company, a radio and podcast production company, who produce quite a lot of stuff for BBC and uh, some quite big-name podcasts as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And he wrote this really interesting tweet... Um, Recording a series about power with Hugo Rifkind. And annoyingly, only in the sixth interview of nine did I realise the perfect question to determine how powerful someone is. So I'll ask you lot instead. So I guess by definition, Emma, I'm asking you. Okay. What's the worst thing someone in your job could do if they were evil?
0: (sighs) (laughs) If they were evil?
1: (laughs) So, yeah, that's a brilliant question, isn't it? To decide how powerful you are. What's the worst thing someone could do if they were in your job and they were evil?
0: In my So, hang on. Yeah,
1: so how powerful are you in your job? Think how powerful you are. Think how powerful, say, you know, the vice chancellor is or an MP or a doctor or someone like that. If someone was in that job and they were evil, what was the worst thing they could do?
0: But am I answering as me? Well, I suppose, my job like if, you
1: know, yeah. How, so? How powerful are you, senior lecturer in PGC drama?
0: But, okay, <laughs> I'm I'm trying to understand this now on the hop. So yeah. So is my answer going to are you? Will would somebody be able to psychoanalyze me and say, well, she she's she's <laughs> she's not one to worry about. Um, she's I, not evil. She's not got some deep seated uh, evil in well,
1: her. We could do, but no. I think it's more about the the position you hold in the world, the job that you've got. If you suddenly turned evil, how much damage could you do to the world? As a PGC drama program leader, it's quite an interesting one. If you were a brain surgeon and you suddenly turned evil, how much damage could you do? You know, if you oh were Oh my goodness! Well, that
0: budget. one's obvious, yeah. isn't it? But-,
1: but yeah, it's interesting for teaching, isn't it? You know, if you were a teacher and you were evil.
0: Oh, you could. <laughs> It depends on, you'd have to be evil and have cunning. You'd and, have to be clever, and, yeah. And I, be clever.
1: Let's, I suppose we do have to assume you're evil. Yeah, because you, yes, know, it you could, be... like,
0: n- you know, n- <laughs> n- just make sure that none of your kids underlined the work in their books. And then...
1: <laughs> yeah, and annoyed your management. You could probably do a lot of damage as a teacher if you oh, were yeah, evil. Oh, yeah, you probably could. Which, by definition, is what he's saying, I guess, is teachers are really powerful people. Yeah. Because you could do a lot of damage yeah. if you were evil. <laughs> as for people that run teacher training courses i don't know what could we do if we were evil (laughs) how much damage could we do to the world a whole generation of teachers going out there and not underlining headings i don't know
0: (laughs) i don't know i don't know
1: probably got more power as a teacher or maybe longer term power as a as a pgc lecturer i don't know
0: (laughs) i don't know I don't know.
1: It's just a really interesting one to think about, isn't it?
0: It is a really interesting one to think about. And I guess a good sort of exercise in realising how much power you do have and influence you do have.
1: And I say this to the students before they go out, you know, on their first placement, I do slightly put the fear into them. And I say, you know, you're going to teach those kids, you're going to teach those lessons, they're not going to get those lessons back if they're not good. And I guess if you're a teacher... I mean, I, how many kids did I used to see in a week? Hundreds, hundreds. And that was their only music <laughs> yeah, lesson. I know? mean,
0: this does really speak to, I mean, we've all had a situation with a teacher. Well, maybe not all, I can't speak for everybody, but mm. many people have had situations with teachers who have said something
1: that yeah. was probably
0: very flippant at the time and potentially not, not meant in a malign way. But actually, it stuck with that person, and maybe turned out to be a chip on their shoulder that fueled them. So actually, turned yeah. into a positive, or was very inhibiting.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I guess we could change the question: What's the worst thing someone in your job could do if they were incompetent? <laughs> but then yeah. a lot of it comes up incompetence. But yeah, if you were actually evil, wow, wow, you could do a lot of damage, couldn't you? So teachers, you're very powerful, is what we're saying. <laughs> you're powerful people.
0: Are we? sacked over this time I always feel like you take us to the very edge of uh, <laughs> uh, of, of that's
1: why you love working
0: <laughs> of P45 dissemin- dissemination
1: <laughs> yeah I hope not I hope I'm I hope I'm making people think you, rather than maybe you not think certainly are. he needs to not be working in this university anymore
0: no nope, <laughs> definitely made me think I
1: thought it was a good question I think
0: it's an excellent question <laughs> it's an excellent question. perhaps those of you who do have the uh the kind of kernels of evil somewhere deep down inside you maybe don't think too deeply about yeah, it yeah
1: yeah i should I should point out a uh, disclaimer we're not condoning evil. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, yeah. shall I move on? Yes,
1: I, I can tell you want to move on because I, you can feel your P45 approaching.
0: I can, I can. <laughs> Drag
1: us back into safe territory.
0: Okay, well, it's not that safe. Oh, Okay, so...
1: You wait till my news story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sweating a little bit. I think there's a senior leader lurking in the corridor somewhere. Okay, right, so... Um, my tweet comes from a Twitter account entitled, Fake Ambitious Assistant Head.
1: (laughs) I saw this when I was looking for This account. Oh,
0: okay. So it's a parody account. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, although you wouldn't know it.
0: (laughs) You wouldn't know it. Um, but actually... I found they had retweeted someone else, so actually the tweet that I'm gonna mm. I'm going to give you is is a retweet from that account. But I might just give you a flavour of that yes. account too. <laughs> so the retweet was from somebody called Annie Black, um, who is an English teacher in Leeds, um, and she's just posted a picture um, with the tweet that reads, "I spotted this horror for sale in W. H. Smith's today." And the picture is a picture of a teacher stamper um, that stamps the words in books, verbal feedback given. Yeah. Um, This kind of speaks to what you were talking about, about the underlining in music. Um, As drama teachers, we have this regular problem as well, because we don't always have books yet yet. If we didn't give verbal feedback on a regular basis, and I guess you could say this of every teacher going, you know, verbal feedback is probably the most frequent form and likely most powerful form of of feedback. I'm just thinking about that Sherrington blog, you know, about sitting down with the kids and talking them through, Mm. you know, where they they were successful and, and where they need to go next. And I just thought this spoke to a, a culture gone mad of accountability.
1: Yes, I'd quite like to make a stamper that just says backside covered. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what yeah. is the point of that stamp?
0: And I just playfully thought, well, I wonder where I would put this stamper. You know, do you want me to stamp it on the child's head in <laughs> drama? <Yes. laughs> <laughs>
1: that's true if you haven't got a book yes we should put it on some part of their body shouldn't we yeah
0: and they should have to show
1: it to the senior leaders on their way out
0: yeah and I just think oh, it just yeah. it made me chuckle and I thought it was great that it was on this account um, this is actually something that will come up we'll talk about um, next episode uh, we talk about Lucy Crehan's book uh, Cleverland so do tune into that but she talks about best circumstances for accountability cultures Um, And I thought this spoke of an accountability culture which deals in culpability and liability. Mm. Okay, who is culpable for not giving? (laughs)
1: Who didn't stamp enough children today. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But
0: another funny one that came up that I thought was within this vein on this fake ambitious assistant head account Mm. was this. So if you differentiate in the lessons that you teach by questioning, support or feedback, that's absolutely fine. And we're more than happy. Only please just make sure that your books look like you're differentiating by task, groups of learners and resources so that we have evidence. Thank you. (laughs) 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 Mm. So I'll just leave that one there. (laughs) Evidence. Yes. Evidence.
1: Uh, Right. Time for a news story. Yeah. And uh, I have picked one. Um, it these these pop up in the news on a on a semi regular basis. Those tales of somebody having an idea for um, making learning memorable, and it being an idea that should have been kind of binned within about a quarter of a second of it being thought of, but instead somehow it actually got done. And uh, with terrible consequences, um, <laughs> to, such that it ends up as a news story. I mean, you'll you'll know what I mean when I when I'm reading it. But there there are always plenty of these in the news.
0: It's an um, intriguing intro. I yeah, mean, I, I mean,
1: there, there's always sort of. Uh, teachers for whom creativity kind of tips over into madness they come up with an idea they traumatize a bunch of pupils Uh, a bunch of parents give many interviews to the media about how appalled and disgusted they are i mean let's not minimize the fact that some kids clearly did get pretty upset by this (laughs) occurrence i mean it was in 2010 so i'm hoping they've all they've all kind of recovered by now and actually the reason i'm i've chosen this one is is very much kind of come for the tale of Insanity from a teacher and stay for the final punchline from the head teacher who gives an interview.
0: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. To the
1: reporter. so oh,
0: Some white knuckle stuff in your uh, content, Tom. This is why you love
1: working with me. So, yes, uh, not to minimise the fact that this was clearly an utterly stupid idea, uh, but I wanted to read it because I, I just rather like the comment by the head teacher at the end. OK. So here we go. This is from The Telegraph. And uh, Blackminster Middle School in Evesham, Worcestershire, faced condemnation from parents after their children were left traumatised by a mock shooting. Oh my gosh! I know, yeah. Like I said, oh my terrible gosh. idea. This sounds
0: like this sounds like the lesson that I talked about back in in the Christmas episode.
1: Yes, yes, you and your general pinochet with your mock torture. Yeah. Oh my we're... Gosh. <laughs> There we go. You could have been in the Telegraph, then. Oh my could gosh. have ever got out. Um, the youngsters, aged between 10 and 13, thought they were taking part in a fire drill when an alarm bell rang and they were ushered out into the playground. But they were left in terror as a man appeared brandishing a gun and <sighs> appeared to shoot dead their science teacher as he ran across a field.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Like I said, this, this is not not something we would suggest anybody does. No. PGCE students, if you're oh
0: my <laughs> listening goodness. to
1: the podcast for ideas, this is not one. Following a loud bang simulating a gunshot, another staff involved in the act rushed to the teacher's aid and appeared to try to resuscitate him. Yes. There was a delay of 10 minutes before weeping pupils were taken back to the assembly hall where teachers explained that the pretend shooting had been laid on as part of a science lesson.
0: Oh my gosh! To teach what?
1: Um, apparently, the idea was uh, they were they were going to have a lesson. Um in which they were going to be kind of talking about evidence and forensics and you know clues and all that. Oh
0: my gosh! Just kind have a of thing. Yes. body taped out on the floor yes! when they come in. Okay. Crikey! Go see the drama department. Get some fake blood. Go for goodness' sake,
1: chalk and chalk around someone's body on the floor. But no, yeah, like I said, somebody had this this very clever idea. Um, yes, I'm going to I'm going to skip over the many. Clearly very unhappy parents. Uh, here we go. So the school said it had learned lessons from the incident and apologised to pupils left upset. It said the role-playing exercise had been intended to teach year eight pupils how to investigate, collect facts and analyse evidence. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Head teacher Terry Holland said the role-play was part of a science lesson where a selection of students and teachers acted out this scenario. The problem with a small minority of the pupils was that there was a slight delay in getting them back into the hall to explain what had just happened.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Most of them already knew it was a spoof, but a couple of them were upset and we have since spoken to them and their parents and apologised to them. Uh, And this was my favourite bit. It was one of the more popular teachers who played the victim. I don't think there would have been as much concern if it was one or two of the others. (laughs)
0: gosh that is te- Ooh, who is it the telegraph that is the There's telegraph, a telegraph yeah, that that's was, a journal having the, a, no, good a old laugh. quote
1: from the head teacher yeah well
0: he chose to, <laughs> to include it crikey that is brilliant yeah so
1: yes let's not minimize that some people got no. upset but uh kudos to the head teacher for that punch at the oh
0: end. my goodness oh i would really not want anybody to put off using drama pedagogies in yeah, their lessons just but not that one. <laughs> might want to run it by some friendly colleagues first. Yeah, several um, I
1: would suggest. To
0: iron out any potential lawsuits.
1: Yeah I mean it would appear that someone quite senior was in on that one because you know they had the fire alarm they had the kids you know going out of school so it clearly wasn't a lone operative there. Some you yeah. know quite a number of people clearly thought that was a good idea. I can only assume it was the end of a very long Turn.
0: Oh my word! <laughs> okay, well, yep. who does to you for having the bravery to read that one yeah. aloud.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I've already got sacked from the tweet, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hello, oh, Vice Chancellor.
0: Right, <laughs> right, okay, well, um, I am going to end on um, an entry that came through on Reddit um and this was quite an eye-opening thing for me kind of tiptoeing into the world of reddit this is something that uh, and then what Pod, they draw upon quite a lot um for anyone that hasn't been on reddit it's a social news aggregation and discussion website um and there is a subgroup called teaching uk um and it's quite an interesting one because there there are a lot of pgc and nqt students on there who um who, uh, it, it's a bit of an Agony Aunt page, um, which I think is is a really useful outlet. So I think if you need that outlet, then maybe Reddit is the place to go. However, Just I found- Just don't name us. <laughs> <laughs> I found um, this, this nice entry um, by somebody whose handle is um, Zap Zapata Forever, <laughs> which I looked into, and I think is a footballer, okay. who is a secondary English teacher. Um, And it says that the title is Feeling Very Proud of the Kids Who Walked Out Today. So this is really, really recent and you'll probably know what it's referring to um, as I start to read. So she says, well, I think it's a she, might not be. I think the kids done good today. About a third of our lot walked and joined the local protest about climate change. I may or may not have provided paper and markers for this, for some last minute Save the Polar Bears banners this morning. <laughs> school handled the whole thing pretty well until one member of senior leadership team lost the plot and attempted to chase a bunch of kids down the hill outside the school. In brackets, kids were faster, obvs. How did everyone everyone else's protest day go? Question mark, <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. And I just loved the image that this conjured up. Um, and it's probably not going a long way to uh, make to cover our SLT team in in glory we've kind of uh, vilified those a little bit in today's episode so apologies to those lovely senior leaders out there but I just love that image of the teachers arming the kids with uh, (laughs) protest banners or equipment to make protest banners whilst the senior leadership team chase them down the hill.
1: Goodness me yeah oh I'm just remembering the uh the traditional year 11 leaving day. Did you used to have that in your school? Yes, when we did. Shirt
0: signing, and antics, yeah.
1: Yes, and we'd always we'd always tell them one time for the end of the day and then actually boot them out of school about three hours earlier than they thought they were going to be in the hope they would get taken by surprise. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and, but what I like about this was that actually it was so much bigger than, it, than on a school Basis, you know, it it was it, it was, it was an opportunity. I'm just thinking back to Martin Robinson's blog. It was an opportunity for another window onto truth and reality for for these kids. You know, an opportunity to protest and honest, an opportunity to see how their teachers react to the opportunity for them to protest you know some schools just reading through this thread and if you have chance go and have a look at how some other schools handled it you know some more rural schools there are teachers on there saying didn't know anything about it Mm. and um and some schools who point blank you know did not did not condone any type of engagement or encouragement in it at all other schools made it so that kids who didn't feel that they for whatever reason could engage in it could do curriculum related activities that supported it and Mm, the themes of it so yeah i just thought it was an interesting one Hmm, and a funny one
1: yes (laughs) senior leadership running around (laughs) right there we go so we kept it vaguely educational today um just thinking now to the next episode. I'm quite controversial in that one as well, aren't I?
0: So, yeah, it's is becoming your oh, your uh, your podcast presenter. Shtick.
1: Yeah, I know. It's probably it's gonna be a short lived career, so uh, yeah, get your <laughs> get your other co-presenter lined up. <laughs> Who's well, it going to be?
0: Yeah, I, I will have to have a good think about that. Yeah,
1: well, it was nice working with you. And uh, <laughs> HR, if you want to find me, I'm on the bottom floor. Food on the right.
0: <laughs> Enjoy the rest of those Easter eggs, everybody. Hopefully, we haven't put you off. Hopefully, you'll join us for our, our next episode, yes. which will be with a special guest returning.
1: Yes, we've got Sally Bethel and we are discussing Lucy Crehan's book, Cleverlands. If you want to get yourselves up to speed for that, you've got a couple of weeks. And we will... Spend Speak to you then. See you soon. Bye
0: bye. That was Emma and Tom's PGC podcast, presented by Emma Thea and Tom Breeze. We hope you enjoyed our special holiday format, and you can see the links to everything we read out in the notes for this episode. Thanks to, in order of appearance, Tom Sherrington, Martin Robinson, Ed Moorish, Fake Ambitious Assistant Head Teacher, The Daily Telegraph, and Zapata Forever on Reddit. We'd like to emphasise the importance of running any creative lesson ideas past someone sane before reaching for the fake gun and setting the fire alarms off. No pupils were harmed during the making of this podcast, but the same may not be true of Tom's career prospects. At least one of us will be back next time. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching.